So we're talking about three-dimensional living. We're really talking about discipleship. We're really talking about obeying the command of Jesus Christ to go into all the world and make disciples. Three-dimensional living speaks of the relationship Jesus modeled in three directions, up with the Father, in with his disciples, and out with the world around him. Let's read together Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 through 40. This is called the Great Commandment. You know, we have a great commandment, we have a great commission. This is called the Great Commandment, Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. 37. A lawyer came to Jesus and asked Jesus, testing him, what is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The first and great commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, to love God. So we're commanded to love God, but we've got to remember this. Let's go to 1 John. Now we're going to be in 1 John for a little bit. Let's go to 1 John chapter 4. So when we say... You've got to love God with all your heart. This is the great commandment. We need to understand how that takes place. See, if you think, oh man, Pastor Jeff told me I need to love God with all my heart. I've got to start loving him more. And you start stressing over how you're going to love God more. And you start working really hard. I don't know how you do that. How do you work really hard to love God? <laughs> well, I need to get a plan. I need to get a formula for how I'm going to love God. We love formulas, don't we? I need a plan and a formula for how I'm going to love God. I often ask people, I said, tell me the plan and formula you had for falling in love with your wife. Guys, you didn't have one, did you? It just kind of happened. I mean, before you know it. Now, after you realize you were in love with her, you might have had a plan and a formula how you're going to convince her that you are the guy, right? But I'm telling you, you didn't have a plan and a formula of how you were going to fall in love with somebody. There is no plan and formula of how you fall in love with God. Listen, the Bible tells us how we love God. 1 John 4.10 And this is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Verse 19, 1 John 4.19 We love Him, why? Because He first loved us. So how can you love God? Because God loved you. And if God has loved you, if He has poured His love into your heart by the Spirit of God. This is what Paul writes in his letter to the Romans, chapter 5. We also glory in tribulation. Why? Because tribulation produces patience. Patience produces character. Character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint because God has poured out His love into our hearts by His Spirit. So God's poured His love into your heart. You now have the capacity to love God. And you are now commanded to love Him with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. You can do that. The question is, will you do that? Oftentimes people say, well, I can't. And I say, no, stop right there. 
Don't say you can't. Say I won't. Because it's really not about what we can't do. It's about what we will or will not do. The Bible says I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You can love God with all your heart. The question is, are you going to? Not whether you can or not, it's are you going to? When Peter and the disciples returned to fishing after the resurrection of Jesus, and Peter is so downcast because he has denied the Savior three times. Now Jesus has been resurrected, and, and Peter realizes, I am the most ignorant, stupid, unfortunate man in all the world because I have denied the Messiah three times. After I told him I would never deny him, even after I told him I'd go to the death for him, and he said, you're going to deny me, and I didn't believe him, but I did it just like he said. I denied him three times. And Peter, in his distress, goes back to the thing Jesus called him away from. In the beginning of Peter's life, in terms of his life with Jesus, Peter's on the seashore washing his nets. Here comes Jesus walking by. He says, hey, can I borrow your boat? Yeah. Let's cast out a little ways. And Pete, Jesus preaches this sermon, and after the sermon, they push out. He says, push out into the deep and drop your nets. We have fished all night long and have caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, he drops his nets, and he catches this ginormous amount of fish. And, and the Bible says, the gospel says, Peter falls down into the boat at the feet of Jesus, and he says, my Lord. He realizes. And Jesus says to Peter, he said, follow me, and I will make you a fisher of men. And he says, Peter left his fishing business and followed Jesus. Later on in the Gospel of John, we see when Jesus, as only Jesus can do, because, you know, Jesus wrote the book on church growth and how to win friends and influence people. When Jesus preaches a sermon and the masses turn from him and walk away from him, because they said, this is too hard. Jesus turns to his disciples and says, what about you guys? Are you guys going to also leave me? And they said, where would we go? We have forsaken all to follow you. And besides that, you have the words of life. Did you catch that? We have forsaken all to follow you. But now, here's Peter after the resurrection of Jesus, having denied his Savior three times. What's he do? He goes from being a fisher of men back to a fisher of fish. He's out in the boat. Because it's, it's what we do. This is what our human nature does. We go back to our default mode. Peter reverted back to the old man, back to the old ways. This is what we will all do if we are not vigilant. Don't think that you can't revert back to the old ways. I didn't say Peter lost his salvation. I said Peter went back to his old ways. And he's out there fishing with his buddies. And here comes this guy on the seashore. Children, do you have any fish? No, we fished all night. We don't have any fish. Go away. John goes, Peter. I think it's Jesus. Jesus says, let your nets down. <coughs> and at that moment, they remembered three and a half some years previous to that when a man in a boat said, let your nets down. And they caught a catch of fish. They let their nets down, the Bible says, that they caught 
I believe it's 153 large fish. The nets should have broke, but the nets didn't break. They dragged the fish into the seashore. Peter takes his tunic off. He jumps in the water. He swims to the shore. And there is Jesus. And Jesus asked Peter this very important question. He said, Peter, do you love these more than me? Now, the Bible doesn't tell us what these are. What I believe these are, are those fish. Because remember, Peter was called to become a fisher of men, and he returned to be a fisher of fish. And Jesus asked a simple question, Peter, do you love these more than me? Then Jesus asked Peter, Peter, do you love me? Here's how this conversation goes. Peter, do you agape me? Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I fillet on you. Jesus says, Peter, do you love me with the unconditional Godlock kind of love? Because see, that's the love Peter confessed to Jesus when he said, I'll never leave you, Jesus. I'll go to the death with you, Jesus, because I agape you. But when it came right down to it, guess what Peter was not able to follow through on? He wasn't able to follow through on his profession of love. Now here comes Jesus. He said, Peter, do you agape me? Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. Jesus says, feed my sheep. Peter, do you agape me? Yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. Tend my lambs. Pastor Curtis, God bless you. Here's the third question. Peter from Jesus. Here's what Peter says. Peter, do you phileo me? The Bible says Peter grieved in his spirit. Why do you think Peter was grieved in his spirit? Because Peter understood. Listen, we only have one word for love in the English. But in the Greek, there's, there's at least three. Agape, phileo, and eros. Jesus says in his third question, Peter, do you phileo me? Peter was grieved in spirit. Why? Because Peter understood that he could not love Jesus with the same kind of love that Jesus had for him. Peter professed that love before, but he denied his Savior three times. And now, in the grace and the mercy of God, here comes Jesus, and he makes Peter affirm three times his love for him. But he doesn't require, listen, the commandment, the greatest commandment, is to love God with all your heart. But I'm telling you what, you don't have it within yourself to do that. That's why why John wrote, and he said, we love him because he first loved us. Until God pours his love in your heart, you can't do that. <coughs> you can't do that. And we can only love God out of the love that he has put within us. Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo. You know all things that Jesus said. Jesus was saying to Peter, Peter, I know who you are. I knew who you were before you denied me. That's why I told you what you were going to do. My love for you was not 
contingent, it's not conditional upon your love for me. Do you know that, church? That God's love for you is not conditional and it's not contingent upon your love for him. You didn't love him first. He loved you first. And you can only love him because he has loved you. And God knows our human limitation. But what God also knew, he knew Peter's limitations, but I'm telling you what, he also knew Peter's heart. He knew what Peter wanted. Peter wanted to do something that he really couldn't do in himself. This is where we as believers have got to come to. That what God calls us to, he calls us to to do in him and not in ourselves because we can't do it in ourselves. If you think out of your humanness you're going to love God with all your heart, you are very mistaken because you are not capable of doing that. Because it's not our humanness that loves God. God saved us from our humanity, if I can say that. He saved us from our human nature and gave to us, by grace, his divine nature. And now, as we have become partakers of his divine nature, we now can love him because he has poured his love into us. Man, that was a long introduction to my message, wasn't it? Well, you can go all there, but... Do you see the grace of God in Peter's life? I mean, failure after failure. God's grace never stopped. God's love never failed. God knew all along. Do you know that God knows right now? He not only knows every mistake you have ever made, he knows every mistake you're going to make. And if you don't think you're going to make some, then you've got a hard lesson coming. God loves us in spite of those things. Now, those aren't justifications to continue walking in error or rebellion. And here's where much of the church exists today. The church, really, we're in rebellion. We're in rebellion to God. We're in rebellion to his word. We're commanded to do something. And the question is, are we going to do what God commands us to do? Are we going to go back to the simplicity of the gospel? Are we going to keep living in an illusion with delusions of grandeur about what we can do? Continually to pin our hopes on some great event in the future that's coming. No, listen, live live in the present right now. You're called to this right now, not some great event in the future that's coming. Oh, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. We keep looking for something to come. And guess what? Time keeps passing. Time keeps passing. We need to be faithful. We need to be obedient today to what God has commanded us to do right now. It's not going to be in the great events that God changes the world. It's going to be in the small things, moment by moment, day by day. It's the little bit of leaven that's leavening the whole lump. Jesus said, this is what the kingdom is. It's like the leaven that leavens the whole lump. Just a pinch. That's why he said, if you just have faith to say the size of a grain of a mustard seed, you can move mountains. The, the, the problem is, we want to stand there and we want to see the mountain move immediately. 
because we misinterpret and misunderstand because this is who we are today. This is what our culture has made us. Instead of understanding that if I'm faithful, if I just exercise mustard seed faith every day, if I just will just purpose to be that little pinch of leaven every day, listen, the Spirit of God will take over. The Spirit of God knows how to leaven the lump. He knows how to grow the seed. He knows how to make the tree. He knows how to move the mountain. He knows how to transform the world. He knows how to transform your family. He knows how to transform the circle of influence around you. Forget about changing the world. Just how about we think about those immediate people around us. Let's start believing God right there. And quit looking for the great event that's to come. Because we just want God to come down and zap everybody. And that's not what Jesus said he's going to do. I challenge you to show me in the scripture where God says that's how he's going to operate. He ain't going to do that. He already did that. He already poured out his spirit 2,000 years ago at Pentecost. If you're a child of God, Christian, if you go by that name and you truly are Christian, you have the spirit of God in you right now. There's nothing more God can give you that he has not already given you. There's no extra anointing or lightning bolt that's going to come down from heaven and do something for you. If you have the spirit of God in you right now, you have all things that pertain to life and godliness in Christ Jesus. The fullness of glory dwells within you. You are powerful right now, just as you are. You are. Walk in that power. But I'm going to tell you what, if you will not walk obedient to the word, and I'm not talking about some legalism where I can't wear certain things and I can't eat certain things and I can't do certain things. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about being obedient. Jesus didn't say sit and wait. He said go therefore. He said be salt in life. Be salt that doesn't lose its flavor. What does that mean? Don't lose your flavor. He didn't say go out and compromise the message so we can attract the world so they don't feel so bad. That's salt that's lost its flavor. That's, that, that won't do anything except make people feel good in their sin. And we're not called to make people feel good in their sin. But here, here's what we are called to do. We are called to love people in their sin. We're absolutely called to love people in their sin. Someone struggling with sin, you can name it. I don't care what it is. You know, in our culture, we're all caught up with the sin of homosexuality today. I, listen, there's lots of other sins out there that are just as bad as that one. We like to focus on that one because it's in the news all the time. We say, well, they're trying to force their agenda on us. Listen, the enemy in sin has been trying to force its agenda on us from the beginning. Go back to the book of Genesis. That didn't start with homosexuals. It started with a piece of fruit on a tree. We're called to love sinners in their sin. Not, not make them feel good about their sin. Not justify their sin. We're called to love them in their sin. And in loving them, and in discipling them, in pointing them to Jesus, in bringing them into our lives and sharing a Christ-centered Life with them, trusting that the Spirit of God will touch them. You know you can't save anybody? You can't. How many here, if you know what I'm talking about, you don't have to raise your hand. How many of you know what I'm talking about when I say you're a fixer? You know what a fixer is? A fixer is a person who just wants to fix everybody's problem. 
Well, you know, I think I could fix their problem. Really, you think you can? You know, if they would just listen to me, I think I could get them saved. Really, you think you could get them saved? I mean, we say these things, and we know as Christians that we really can't save anybody. But, you know, our words really do have meaning. We need to really stop and think about some of the things we say and some of the ways we think. You can't fix anybody, and you can't save anybody. Only God can. But here's what you can do. You can love them. You can love them with agape love. You can love them with unconditional love. You can point them to Jesus. You can share Jesus. You can bring them into your life and surround them with the love of Christ. Say, well, what if they don't want to change? Well, if they don't want to change, then there's nothing you can do about that because you can't fix them and you can't save them. You can't do that with people if you don't love God. Jesus was able to have a relationship to the world around him because of his relationship with the Father. He was able to have a relationship with his disciples because of the relationship he had in the Father. I told someone last night as we sat and were conversing, not someone in this church, someone that didn't even go to this church, we were talking about church. I said, you know what? Here's the problem. Church wants to go out and do all the stuff in the world. We, we can't even love one another inside the church until we learn how to live with one another, until we learn how to love one another right here as the church. How in the world are we going to go out there and change the world? It ain't going to happen. It's not going to. Now, let's, while we're in, while we're in uh, 1 John, let's just, let's just look at something. Well, let me, let me take you to John, the Gospel of John, before we go back to 1 John. John chapter 14. John, the Gospel of John, chapter 14. So, this is the great commandment, to love God with all your heart. Well, what does that mean? What does it mean to love God with all? What does that mean? <laughs> Look, John chapter 14, uh, let's see, let's begin in verse 5. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going and how we can know the way. Because Jesus said, look, I'm going to prepare a place. You know where I'm going, you know. He says, no, Lord, we don't know where you're going. We don't know the way. Verse 6, very, very important verse of scripture. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had, look at this church, this is an important word, if you had known me, Jesus is talking to his disciples. He's ours. At most, before his arrest. And he says, if you had known me, these dudes just spent three and a half years with Jesus. And we want to think, well, you know, if I could, I've had people say, well, if I could, if Jesus would just appear to me. No. It wouldn't make any difference for you. These guys lived, breathed, ate with him for three and a half years. They participated in everything that he did. And Jesus, at the end of it all, right before his arrest and crucifixion, he says, if you had known me, in other words, what that tells me is, you don't really know me. You don't know me. You would have known my father also. 
And from now on, you know him and have seen him. Do you see the grace of God right there? If you would have known me, you would have known my father. But from now on, you will know. That's the grace of God. This isn't these guys that have it all together. They've been to Jesus Seminary for three and a half years, and they all excelled and, 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 and graduated with honors. When, when they finished their seminary training, here's what their professor and head of their seminary said, you don't know me. And the whole point of this three and a half years was about me. And now three and a half years later, you don't even know me. That's an indictment. But look at the grace of God. But you, from now on, you know him and have seen him. Jesus didn't leave them in that place. He knew right where they were. He knew they didn't know. He knew they didn't have a clue. He knew. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? To love, what does it mean to love God with all? What does that mean? It sounds real nice, right? It sounds like good theory. How do you, Christian, love God with all? I mean, to love his person is to love God. Not just to love information about him. Not just to love the warm, fuzzy feeling that that you're not going to have to spend eternity in hell. To love him is to love his person. God's not an abstract thought. God's not some abstract spirit in the sky somewhere. I know all the songs talk like he is, but he's not. He's a person. To love God is to love his person. How do you love the person of God? You love the person of God. It's it's to love the Son. The Son is the the Lord God. It's God personified. That's who the Son is. That's who Christ is. It's to love the Son who is known as the one true and living God. It's to know Him. It's to know the Son. It's to love and to know the Son. It's to love his way. Jesus said, I am the way. To love his way is to love the son who is known as the way. The way to salvation, yes. The way to life, yes. Let's just just simplify it. He is the way in all things. He's the way you buy groceries at H-E-B. He's the way you buy gas at Walmart. He's the way you work your job. He's the way you raise your family. He's the way you cook supper. He's the way you, you, whatever you want to fill in, he is the way. He's the way in all things. Why do we want to separate spiritual and secular and say, well, you know, washing my car is not spiritual, really? Going on my job, doing my job, there's nothing spiritual about that, really? When did you stop being spiritual? When did you stop being a child of God? If the carpenter walks over to eat his lunch? Is he not still the carpenter? Are the members of his body still not the members of the carpenter? Is not eating lunch part of what the carpenter does in building the thing that he's been tasked to build? How can we say this is spiritual and this is not spiritual? Either you are or you are not. 
You either are in Christ or you are not in Christ. And if you are in Christ, you're all in or you're not in at all. You don't have your toe in. You don't have your knee in. Your tank's not half full or half empty. No. He is the fullness. If he lives in you, then the fullness lives in you all the time. It never stops living in you. You don't move in and out of salvation, and salvation doesn't move in and out of you. You either are or you are not. Just like I don't disconnect the parts and the members of my body every night, they stay with me all the time. Why? Because they are part of me. If you are a member of Christ's body, you stay with him. You are joined to him in union to him all the time. All the time. That means everything you do, he is the way in all things. To love his truth is to love the son who is known as the truth. He is the truth. He's known as the word. How? In the word. The word reveals him as the word. You know him as the word, the living word, because this word declares it. And it's the spirit of God in you that opens your eyes to give you the understanding and the revelation of that. Go to 1 John now. Go back to 1 John chapter 4. What does it mean to love God with all? To love God is to know God. Do you know him as the Son? Do you know him as the way in all things? Do you know him as the life there is no other life. There's life and nothing else. If you're not in the sun, you're not in life. That's not what I say. That's what the scripture says. What does it mean to love God? To know him. To love God is to love one another. 1 John 4, 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves God is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Listen, love is not just an emotion. Love is a person. And until we get the revelation that love is a person, I don't care how many fuzzy, warm emotions you have that you want to call love, you don't know nothing and you don't have nothing until you have the person who is love. God is love. He is love. Look at this. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world, that we might live, there's the life, he is the life, that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Look at verse 7 again. Look at the last. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. To love God is to know God. Jesus said, Philip, have you been with me so long and you don't know me? Christians all over America sit in church week after week, and the question I want to ask is, have you sat in church so long and do you not know him? Do you know him? then how can you hate your brother? Or how can you hate because the color of their skin is a different color than your skin? Or how can you hate because, well, they're sinners. 
And their love is unnatural. Well, I was a sinner. And there wasn't anything about my love. I didn't have any love because I didn't have God. But God loved me still. And God saved me in spite of that still. Beloved, let us love one another for love is of God. While you're in 1 John, turn back a couple of pages to the second chapter. So Jesus models this relationship, his relationship with the Father, his relationship with his disciples, and his relationship to the world. John chapter, 1 John chapter 2, verse 6. He who says he abides in him ought himself also, ought, ought to walk just as he walked. Brethren, I write no new commandment to you, but an old commandment, which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write to you. Oh, what, wait, is he, is, he, is he schizophrenic? Is he contra- What's He just said, I don't have a new commandment. But then he says, again, a new commandment I write to you. Don't be confused by that. Because I promise you the church that was reading this letter was not confused by this. Which thing is true in him and in you? Because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Verse 9, he who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. So in 1 John chapter 2, verse 6, what does John write? He says, we are to walk just as he walked. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. To walk as he walked means what? Very simply, it means we're to live as he lives. We're to live as Jesus lived. Now what about this old commandment, new commandment thing? What's the old commandment? What is the old commandment that you have had from the beginning Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one God, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. This is the first and the great commandment. Every Jew knew that commandment. Every Jew knew the verse before that commandment. Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one. It's called the Shema. And you shall love this one God with all your heart, with all your strength, with all your mind, with all your soul. That's the old commandment that we've had from the beginning. What's the new commandment? Turn to the Gospel of John again, chapter 13. Oh, better be careful. You know, Jesus, he's adding to the Word of God. Jesus is the one of God. He can do that. You can't. You can't do that. As much as, you know, I, I, I've got Mormons in my family. I love them. But I don't care who Joseph Smith was. He called himself a prophet all day long. He doesn't have the authority to add to the word of God. Jesus is the word. He's the living word. This, he, he is the author of creation he is the word made flesh that dwelt among us. And here Jesus says, uh, you need to catch 
how huge this is. Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. When John writes his letter, he is equating the great commandment to the new commandment that Jesus gave. He is giving weight to Jesus' words that equals the Shema, the very commandment of God given to Moses. John is putting Jesus in his proper place. This isn't just nice words of a nice prophet who walked a nice earth. This is, this is the God of Israel, the one true and living God, the God of the Shema that you are commanded to love with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. John says, this new commandment that came from Jesus, who is the one true and living God, this is the new commandment. You know what it is. The new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Why? By this all men will know you are my disciples. I want you to think of a married couple. They've been married. That's why marriage is important. That's why when I teach premarital counseling, you know what I give my pre couples? I give them the gospel because that's what marriage is about. Marriage is a picture of the gospel, plain and simple. That's what marriage is. If you get the picture of marriage and understand that it is a picture of the gospel, you don't need to know whether you're a, um, you know, what your love language is. You don't need to know. You, you don't need to know any of that. I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but we we major on the minors, and we get a bunch of psycho babble in there trying to teach these couples how they're going to stay married if they just learn each other's love language and all this stuff. Bull hockey. Give them the gospel because marriage is about the gospel. That's it. That's all it's about is the gospel. It's about our relationship with Jesus Christ. How do I know? Because the greatest commentator in the Bible, besides Jesus himself, one of the greatest, the Apostle Paul, gives us the commentary. He tells us by the Spirit of God, this is what marriage is. <laughs> marriage is a mystery on earth that speaks of a reality in the Spirit. The mystery is not the reality in the Spirit. The mystery is that God would picture the spiritual reality of his love relationship with his children with us fallen and frail human beings here on earth. That's a mystery. But he did it. Why? So picture this couple. And the man says after 21 years of marriage, you know, honey, I love you. But I think it's time to move on. I think it would be better for both of us if we just moved on. And he goes out and he tells everybody, you know, this is really best. This is really what love demands. Would you believe that? Here's a broken family. Here's a broken wife, broken kids. Would you believe that? That that's really love? <coughs> you wouldn't believe that, would you? You would not believe that because that's not love. I tell my married couples, listen, unity is worth fighting for. Married couples, if you're going to fight, fight for unity. Don't fight to divide. Fight to stay together. Because your marriage is a picture of the gospel. It's a picture of the relationship Jesus has with his people. And Jesus doesn't divorce his people. And Jesus doesn't divide from his people. And Jesus isn't going around cutting members of his body off and throwing them away. That's not what God does. 
God says a man loves and cherishes his own body. That's why men are called to love and cherish their wives as themselves. The old commandment and the new commandment are not different because at the heart of both, there is love. The question is not, can you? The question is, will you? Will you love God? And if you will love God, then you will love one another. And if you will love one another, then you, you are loving God. And by the love that we have for one another, the world is going to know that we are his disciples. Why is that important? I'll tell you why it's important. Because what God has commanded us to do is to go, therefore, into all the world and make disciples. How are we, church, going to make disciples if we can't love one another and model what true discipleship really is? Any more than you're not going to pay money to go get marriage counseling from a guy that's been married seven times, are you? I hope you wouldn't. We're commanded. Discipleship is what we're called to. That's not just going out and passing out tracts and, and getting people to say a prayer. That's bringing people into your life and living life with them. That's you going into their life and living life with them. That's you sharing the Jesus in you with those who don't know him. Some may, some may not. We're not called to... Jesus didn't say, go therefore and make converts, and after you've made them converts, then make them disciples. See, that's the way the church operates. But that's, that's not what Jesus told us to do. He said, go into the world and make disciples. How are you going to do that? You're going <laughs> to preach the gospel. How are you going to preach the gospel? You're going to use your words, but your words mean nothing if your life doesn't communicate back up what your words are saying. How is the leaven going to leaven the whole lump? It's going to be as the people of God go out as the leaven into this world and they begin to make disciples. Inch by inch. One person at a time. It's not a big event we're waiting to have happen. The big event's already been kicked off. The question is, are we going to be obedient to what Jesus has already called us to? And if we get confused about what that is, we shouldn't be confused very long because he's given us his word to reveal to us very plainly what it is he's called us to do. And so when we get confused, we just go right back to this scripture right here. Now, if we're lazy, we might have a problem. Or if we want to just trust in what the world says or what the methods of man say, then well, we might have a problem. But if we'll commit to the simplicity of the gospel of Christ and trust that that gospel is what the word declares to be powerful for salvation, then we can be like Moses and the children of Israel at the Red Sea. We can stand back and watch the salvation of because God will say that he will honor his word. The gospel is never ineffective when it's preached. Never, ever, ever. We talked about this today as we're studying 2 Peter. Noah preached for, for 100 years, and in 100 years, only eight people went on the ark. You say, gosh, pretty ineffective preaching. No, it wasn't. It did exactly what it was supposed to do. 
He preached for a hundred years. Eight people went on that ark, not because the gospel was ineffective. The gospel was absolutely effective in what it was supposed to do. It saved the eight people that were supposed to be saved, and it justified the judgment God brought on the world for the rest who perished in the flood. The gospel will either save you or it will justify the judgment of God that will be executed one day. The gospel is always effective when it is preached. Always, always, always. Do you have ears to hear? And if you've heard, will you respond to the challenge, the great command to love God, the new command to love one another even as Jesus has loved us so that the world will know we are his disciples. So that we can obey John 14, 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. And the commandment is to go into the world and make disciples. We're going to do that by the love of Jesus. Amen? Let's all see We'll talk more about this. This is our theme. We're going to be continuing on this theme of discipleship until God says different. reality is everything centers around that. So in some form or fashion, this is what our preaching and teaching is about. Because this is at the heart of the gospel of Christ. Amen? Amen. I want you just to close your eyes for a moment. I want you just, in your heart, I want you just to ask God, Lord, what would you you say to me? What would you have to say to me, God? I want you to be like, like Samuel, like little Samuel. When he heard the voice of God, he goes into Eli and said, Eli, did you call me? And finally Eli realized what was happening. He said, go back in, lay down. And if you hear the voice again, say, Lord, here am I. I want you just to say those words in your heart to God. I just want you to say, because listen, God is speaking. He's speaking through his word. He's speaking through his gospel. He is never not speaking. I want you to say in the quietness of your heart, Lord, here am I. 